this episode, the episode on healing from emotional abuse this week was actually recorded for my other podcast, Embrace Your Crazy, that I co-host with my friend James Castorina, who has been featured on this podcast a heck of a lot of times. We recorded this initially for the other podcast simply because we thought it would be more general mental health, but because the content actually ended up being way more focused on childhood sexual abuse and incest, I thought that you guys could benefit from this as well. So thank you guys for tuning in. If you feel like checking out Embrace Your Crazy, my other podcast, um, you can find that on any on all streaming sites. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Healing from Emotional Abuse this week. Can you heal from abuse? What do I do after leaving my narcissist? What does a healthy relationship look like? These concerns cross the minds of over 20 people every minute, over 28,800 people every day. And the sad fact is, we still don't talk about it enough. Healing from emotional abuse isn't a band-aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen. This episode of Healing from Emotional Abuse is brought to you by the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy. Have you ever wondered why you keep falling for the same type of person, wondering when it's going to be your turn to have control of your life? Now is the time. The Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, the three keys to overcoming narcissism, is an easy-to-follow program where I show you how to release your trauma in a safe and healthy way, build resilience, confidence, self-esteem, self-love, and self-worth, and then rebuild your environment. Surround yourself with healthy people and energy. Your life is yours, and the decisions you make should reflect the people in your life who deserve to be there. People who treat you with kindness and respect, who value you and show you that you are worthy of love every single day. Friends who love and support you and are positive and inspirational and a partner who encourages you to achieve your goals and think bigger than you've ever thought before. Following my three-step system will change your life. I fell into the cycle of abuse, dating narcissist after narcissist, each one of them taking a piece of me with them. And I struggled to know who I was or who I could trust for a long time but I learned all the right steps to take and want to help everyone else who's struggling like I did do the same. I don't want to lose any more survivors to suicide, addiction, or self-harm. There is help out there. So I'm offering my book, The Healing from Emotional Abuse Philosophy, The Three Keys to Overcoming Narcissism for free. Scan the QR code in the show notes to get your free copy of my best-selling book filled with exercises and activities to help you overcome your trauma. In addition to my book, I'm also offering a free coaching session where we'll put together a healing plan specifically for you. Make an appointment with me at schedulealcallwithmarissa.com. That's schedule, S-C-H-E-D-U-L-E, a call, C-A-L-L, with Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A.com. It's time to take your life back and live with confidence, freedom, and peace. Today... We are joined by the lovely Janae Hare as our first guest. I am Bubba Castorina. I'm Marissa F. Cohen. That's all. 
I got nothing else to say. We're very excited to have Janae here today. We're going to talk about some really important topics um, that are not only close to my heart, but things that people deal with all the time. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear your perspective. Hey, Janae, how are you today? Hi, I am fantastic. Glad to finally be uh, be one of your subjects. Throw oh, Bubba under the bus. Like <laughs> one of Throw our him under the bus. <laughs> We're not going to be doing any testing on you. Good Lord. This is actually a case study. We're doing a case study right now. Expect an analytical uh, ABA paper submitted to some journal like by the end of the week. <laughs> It is the end of the week. Remember that. No, <laughs> end of but, next uh, week. Just, just, so, Janae is an old friend of mine. Um, met each other for, God, how long, how long have we? I know I've known Marissa for a while. I think. I graduated Rowan in 2014. Me too. Just, hey, girl, hey. <laughs> hey, girl, hey. So, it's been, as I say, it's been, it's been over 10 years. Uh huh. About 10 years. So, it's Eight been years. Again. Oh, it was a little bit before that. Little yeah, it was, it was like two years before that. So, yeah, 10 years. Jesus. I, I, see, every time somebody says that to me, like college was 10 years ago. We both met Bubba the same year. RIP. I'm oh, sorry no. for our loss. Oh, sorry for you. To, yeah, because I wasted all your time. And, energy. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, but I will say this today has been the, the, you know, probably the most excited guest. <laughs> When I first came up with the idea, she's been pestering me probably every couple of weeks. When are we going to record? When are we going to record? When are we going to record? Every couple of weeks. <laughs> That's because, wait, 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 wait. How long ago did you tell her about this idea? I think, like, I mean, I've had the idea brewing for a couple of years, to be fair. Right. So don't make uh, her sound like a nut for way longer than a couple of years, sir. Been, I, I had this idea. I think it was like two years after we graduated that you started to have this idea. So it's been literally eight years. And like I've checked in with you every <laughs> link down into your chair. You deserve this. You deserve this verbal lashing. <laughs> I do. I deserve it. Well, we're finally doing it. We're finally doing it. Yay. Um, so and, and I'm just happy that all three of us, even with our different time zones, were able to make this work. <laughs> I'm in Pennsylvania right now. Marissa's in Chicago and Janae, you're in New Mexico. House, New Mexico. Isn't technology uh, fun? It's it's amazing. So, <laughs> um, so, so Janae, I think it's, I mean, if you just want to give a little bit of a background about yourself, I mean, they already heard about us last, well, the last episode, so uh, you can do it. Okay. Yeah, so um, I am a survivor of uh I'm an adult survivor of neglect and abuse manipulation. And that has played a major part in pretty much the rest of my life up until about four years ago, where I've been in active recovery from it all. Um, and I didn't realize how much all of that in my childhood had played into the rest of my life. Um, and here I am, I, I've graduated from, essentially graduated from having an active therapist. So now I only um, reach out to my therapist when I 
direly need it um, or feel I can't manage on my own. And, um, and that's, it's been maybe like seven or eight months since my last like official session. And then I had one session about a month and a half ago with her feeling like I, I couldn't manage uh, a trauma recovery mem- memory that I had. And, uh, and so that was, um, I, I was able to meet with her and kind of navigate uh, a new attack of insomnia that I've, that I've had recently and really was able to, to get back on track with my sleep patterns a little bit better. Um, but overall, like my recovery process has been amazing and I'm, I've actually just started a program with SIA, uh, survivors of incest anonymous. It's a 12 step program for survivors of incest. And, uh, uh, I work as a recovery advocate for addicts, um, now, and I've been working there for about six months. Um, and if it wasn't for this program that I work at, I probably wouldn't even know about SIA. Wow. I've never heard of it. And this is what I do for a living. So thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually pretty lesser known from what I can tell, like, but it's, but it's interesting because it's, it's popping up all over the world. Like there are zoom meetings in Italy and Greece and, uh, it's very bizarre. Um, and some the the groups that I'm presently integrating into are based in California, and my my fiance uh, we're getting married in less than a month, and uh, yeah, congratulations! <laughs> That's so exciting. I know uh, I couldn't believe it. Uh, <laughs> for me to be able to trust someone this much is huge. Um. And he's, uh, he himself is uh, a survivor of incest as well in his childhood and neglect and trauma and uh, beautiful, beautiful person, uh, probably the most kind hearted, but twisted and beautifully dark human being <laughs> that I've ever met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, can we talk about that for a second? I feel like a lot of people who experience abuse and especially like childhood sexual assault um, and incest have a really, like you said, difficult time trusting people and finding healthy and finding and nurturing healthy relationships. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Like, how did you know that you could trust him or like, what was the process of you guys learning to trust each other? Am I going to make you cry? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. There's going to be lots of tears. This, this, is a, this is a happy cry, though, I feel like. It's a happy cry. This is a happy um, cry. Now, what's, what's really interesting is um, my, my relationship that ended with, uh, tragically, with domestic abuse um, happened about less than a month before I met this person. Uh, before I met my partner and uh, I, I had that relationship was hypersexual, which is also part of uh, the recovery process of being a victim of childhood incest. Um, 
is the promiscuity, the um, almost nymphomaniac behavior. Um, And so that, that relationship was very hypersexual. And I ended up leaving that relationship so suddenly because of, um, because of what he had done to me that I was seeking out sexual partners, but I recognized that I could not be in a relationship that I had so much healing to do from that. And from that relationship alone, that I was not in a place that I could invite an actual relationship in. So I ended up, uh, I'm kind of ashamed of it, but I'm not because it was kind of a part of me owning my sexuality that I, I went onto Craigslist and ended up putting, putting some ad out there so that I could vet somebody. Um, and, and I, I vetted like two or three guys before I settled on like a, a friends with benefits and he ended up having like two kids and I'm, I'm definitely not interested in having any kids. So it was like perfect. So I ended up uh, getting involved with that guy just as friends with benefits to help support that aspect. Um, And what's crazy is when I was engaging with him, I still had bruises on on my body and uh, I still was terrified of I was terrified of letting someone touch me. But because of how hypersexual that relationship was and how trained I was to receive sexual intimacy, I, I just needed to have it. And that was like within a week, within a week of me having had my spine bruised and I was paralyzed for two minutes and thinking I was going to die. It was, it was pretty intense. Um, but this beautiful human being who I am friends with and who, uh, actually succumbed to addiction, um, in a different way. And he's recovering from his addiction. Um, we are good friends and he helped me through a pretty rough first month. And, uh, and I, I love him dearly for that. Um, and then I, I ended up meeting this beautiful human being that I'm about to marry. And he, he, uh, walked up, apparently we had met each other before, but like in passing, like out in, there was a drum ceremony out in the middle of Taos Plaza and, uh, and I was with my, my ex at that time. And, uh, I, oh my God, I was such a little girl just lost in whatever hell I was in. And I had no idea. So I'm like dancing around, you know, I'm friggin' 25 or whatever. I'm dancing around in my stupid outfit looking like this weird promiscuous child in a in an in an adult body and um and he was there and he and and I actually remembered it after he mentioned it um that he I was going around saging everybody and I was like hey would you like to be saged and he's sitting down and he he's the only person in the entire plaza that was looking me in the eyes and was like able to see my soul and and could see me, the essence of me, the child me. And uh, he thought about it and he went, yeah. And he stood up and let me sage him. And then I walked away. And um, 
And so he ended up coming up to me while I was at, at work. I worked at the Towson as a front desk agent and uh, he showed up one day. And, and at this point I, I hadn't seen him before. And I, I had been there for like a year and a half at that point. And so he shows up and he just has one beer the whole night and it's just people watching. And I just saw sadness in his, in his eyes the whole night. And he's a beautiful human being, but he had like paint all over him. He had like these cut off, like cut off jeans at like the calf. And he comes walking up to me at closing and he's like, hey, so are you still with your man? I was like, who the fuck are you? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he ended up he ended up talking to me the entire time and was like, "Okay, okay," And every five minutes mid-sentence of myself or him he would be like am am I bothering you if I'm bothering you I can fuck off just tell me to fuck off and I'll fuck off he was so considerate and just beautiful and funny and was an artist he was a painter he's a painter and uh and I I grew up in the arts community that's one of my big loves is art and uh creativity um and so we ended up exchanging numbers and our first date which wasn't even supposed to be a date was um i invited him to go to see loving vincent with me at the tca and if you're not familiar with what loving vincent is it's uh the first full-length feature film that was done in complete oils like That's it was painted. Really cool. You guys understand. Yeah. Her, where where Janae lives is just like a, a hub of art and creativity. That's, that's oh yeah. Yeah, Taos is like the Paris of of the United States. Yeah. And when it comes to art. Cool. Um, Still got it. <laughs> um, yeah. So like they they ended up filming the entire thing and it's it's about Vincent's life and they they kind of fictionalized some some of it um but for the most part every frame like each scene they sent out to a group of artists and over 100 artists work on worked on this thing so they each scene they would send out the frames to a group of artists for that scene and they would paint every frame for that scene and then use that as as the animation for the film Um, so that was pretty incredible and he had no idea what it was. And, uh, so I was supposed to go with my friends with benefits and cause we're friends and we do, we did things outside of sex. So, (laughs) um, and he, he ended up dropping the ball and, uh, and I went, okay, let me invite this, this artist friend of mine. I think he would enjoy it. So he showed up. And he actually asked me, you know, what time are you showing up? He showed up 15 minutes before I said I was going to show up, got tickets, even though I get them for free because I worked there. <laughs> I worked Aww. with Towson. And, uh, and he goes, I had no idea this was about Vincent Van Gogh. And I said, yeah, man. Yeah. That's why I invited you artist. Like, <laughs> and he goes, I thought it was like a romantic movie or something. I was like, no. This is, I I was very clear this wasn't a date, bro. (laughs) Ended up turning into one. Uh, I I had seen it the night before. 
and I wanted to see it again. And I, so I'm, I'm, I've seen this the before the night before. And so the entire time he's like this kid in the candy shop, eyes wide, like it was amazing, (laughs) you know, on this big screen. And, and I'm, I, I watched him most of the night. Like I was in awe of this, this appreciation for this film because I was that appreciative of this film. And, um, and so afterwards he was like, you're not going to believe this, but Vincent van Gogh is my favorite artist of all time. And I went, he's one of mine too. So (laughs) that works out. And we ended up talking and talking. It was the first snow of the, of the winter we walked around and yeah. Anyway, so we ended up, uh, not fully hooking up that night, but we, we had, we had some fun and (laughs) nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that and uh what was interesting is he ended up trying he was like I want to be your your Scott who is my friends with benefits he's like I want to be your Scott he ended up like, writing this whole like thing of how he's recovering from shit and I'm recovering from shit and that we could really benefit one another as just literal friends with benefits but in a, in a way that's going to be healing for one another and, um, and he, pr- it, it was like, he was selling himself to me. It was, <laughs> and he even joked about that. He was like, here's a, here's a go-go doll. His, his, uh, he was presenting it in a very safe and healthy way. And I, I was like, how can I say no to this? Like, I, I, I literally can't say no to this healthy opportunity. Um, being that I'm a, I'm a, I am a monogamous and I learned that in the relationship before him. So I realized, okay, no, yeah, this is, this is actually pretty healthy for me to choose one sexual partner um, and to do it in a healthy way. So we started out as like friends with benefits for about like a year and a half before we officially were like, Hey, we're together, (laughs) which, you know, but it was healthy. Like we, we would see each other once every week, once every two weeks or something like that. It was, it was, it was a very healthy start to the relationship and it just grew from there. It was, it was very difficult for him to accept my love. And that was a big part of where, uh, what caused a lot of issues in the early relationship, but we were so healthy and so loving with one another that it just, it just, there was no other path for it to take. And, and what's, you know, it was, it was not easy at first because I was so trained to get into fights and I wanted to fight early on. And so there were times where I was like coming across pretty aggressively when I didn't need to, because I was expecting him to be aggressive with me. And, uh, and he was like, Hey, you're safe. Everything's fine. You know? And, just, just having someone say that to me when I was like getting aggressive and, and was having that PTSD response to a conflict was, was huge. I went, Oh, I can actually feel comfortable here. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was very refreshing. And, and that probably, it only took like two instances of that for, uh, for me to be like, Oh, okay. No, I am safe. And I, I don't have to be reactive. Okay. And, and I practiced like kind of being outside of myself. I was in a 
I was in a safe space to be able to, to practice interpersonal relationship skills with someone in a healthy way. I don't know how either of us were able to, to navigate that so well, but we were, we were, we were just so compatible right from the start. And it, I, I feel like it was a miracle for him and I to cross paths. I think that everything happens for a reason. And I think that, you know, you guys meeting each other wasn't just like a story meet cute, right? It wasn't a coincidence. Like you were meant to meet each other to help each other heal. And look what you got out of it. You know, you have a, a fiance with an extremely healthy relationship and you're happy, like everything feels right. And it's, that's beautiful. And that's honestly all that people that went through what you went through can, can want. It doesn't even feel like it could be real. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So that's beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, I, and I, again, out of the, I mean, I know it's going to sound cliche, but you came out of a lot of darkness there. Oh God. Yeah. Um, on the scale of there's, there's an, I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. The scale of childhood uh, abuse and trauma um, for adults, that scale of one to 10, uh, I score a number six out of that. Um, and from what I understand, those who score like a four and above have difficulty being able to function as adults and, uh, six and above near impossible to function as adults. And uh, I, I'm just absolutely grateful for the strength that I actually have in my essence to be able to be here today, to be able to strive for what I'm striving for and want to get my master's in clinical therapy. So um, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's huge. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Bubba, you've been a big, a big part of that realization for me. Don't inflate his ego. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, my ego is big enough. Big enough. No, I mean, but, I mean, I know. I mean, I, again, to even think that. I mean, it's just, and I, I mean, as I'm sitting here, just thinking about it, like just to even think that there was a possibility that you might not have even been sitting here today with us. You know, I know. Again, I know your history a little bit more than most, but you know, yeah. And, uh, like that's that's it's just, just that realization like that you could even sit here and share your story when and uh if, if you want to talk about that you can but you know i know that you've had a, a struggle with depression with you know uh, a lot of a lot of things a lot of different <laughs> things yeah and um, i definitely want to share it so um yeah <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, go for it i mean I, i'm just and i like i said I, i'm i'm grateful that you were here today me too I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to share my story because if it can help even one person, it's worth it, in my opinion. Um, so, uh, all right, I'll start. Um, so to start from the beginning, my um, I grew up in a broken home. Um, my father was a pedophile, is a pedophile, um, and he sexually abused me and my sisters. Uh, me and my two other sisters. And he went to jail at when I was four. Um, 
my parents separated when I was one and uh, he went to jail when I was four for having thousands. And I mean, thousands of child pornographic videos and images on his computer. And so this is 94. This is early on in, in technology. <laughs> so he, he did. He had thousands and thousands of child pornography and, uh, and child images. And I may be one of these, you know, I be, may be a part of that uh, exchange in some capacity when I was young. So um, he, he ended up also, in addition to that, he was charged with three counts of molestation. And I do not believe that any of my sisters were a part of those counts. So I'm, I'm not sure who that was um, or how that came, came about, but he was sentenced to seven years. He served five of those years. Um, and it wasn't until I was 12 that I, I recalled even a portion of what he had done to me. Um, so, so before I was 12, all I remembered of my father was good things. I just believed that he loved us, that he gave us attention and he played with us. He, he showed us nothing but love when he wasn't sexually abusing us. Whereas my mother completely ignored us, was always angry, um, always. There, I, I can't remember a time where she wasn't angry that early on. Um, she was physically abusive. Um, and so when, when, when they separated when I was one, they had joint custody. So we would go over to him for uh, weekends. And that's when he would abuse us. Um, he would even, he abused me even before that. I, I recalled some earlier member memories and uh, some physical scars that I actually have from, from that um, recently, very recently. And uh, so I, I ended up recovering from those later on. So I found out that as I was doing the healing work, the more memory recalls I was having because my, my brain was able to support that. My brain was able to support the trauma. And so it was like hit after hit after hit through my recovery process. And I was re-traumatized with each memory recall. So up until I was 12, I was like, just I had fantasized about like my father rescuing me from my mother because when he went to jail, when I was four, we were stuck with her and we were stuck with her physical abuse. We were stuck with her neglect, her, uh, and the attention that she did give us was, was just, she would attack us and, uh, manipulate us to attack each other. Um, which created this messed up hierarchy in the nuclear family or whatever our nuclear family was manifesting as. Um, and all three of us had been sexually abused. So we were all like navigating the confusion of that in our own way. 
Um, my older sister in the core sisters, I'm actually one of seven total. Um, and the three core sisters, I call us, we, we grew up together. Um, and so the oldest of, of us, she took on the mommy role at like the age of four, she's four years older than me. And so she ended up, she would, she would feed us, clothe us, bathe us when Karen couldn't do it. And, uh, and that was, you know, she was, she was our little mommy and, uh, and now she's turning into my mother in, in the resentment and anger and is lit. It's literally impossible for her to accept, uh, what was, what happened to her. And so it's impossible for me to have a, have a relationship with, with my little mommy sister, um, which is unfortunate. I haven't spoken to her in many years. Um, and then there's my, uh, middle sister. She is one year older than me. However, she has severe learning disabilities and, uh, was born deaf. And so, um, that was not easy for her to experience the trauma that we did growing up. And uh, not only that, her experience growing up was very different. My mother would, uh, she, she pretty much got the big brunt of my mother's uh, wrath. Um, she was isolated because my mother, it, 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 she, my mother was kind of part of that later part of the generations that would stigmatize um, mental health in in such a way or learning disabilities uh, in such a way and um, and disabilities in general. So she she felt that she was very slow and her particular experience growing up in this hell home was uh, significantly, challenging because she was she was cognitively stunted as a result of the abuse from our mother um which resulted in explosive anger explosive violence i was regularly beat up as a child from my sisters both of them at, when i was younger because i was the youngest out of the three and because of the abuse in the family they felt like they needed to have some sort of control. And so they would attack me because I was the smallest and I could take it uh, and they could control me. And so I, I, I grew up as I was the punching bag for the family. Um, at some point, and I'll give you, give you an, uh, an idea of how violent it was. Uh, the worst instance of that violence, my middle sister ended up, um, chasing me and my older sister with a butcher knife. Um, my, my mother was not home. My mother was working and she had, she had gotten so angry because of the violence exchange. I, I, I don't know what it was. It was something so small and minuscule that had tripped her anger out. And, and she had everything that had, built up for her just exploded and she ran to the kitchen, grabbed a knife and chased us through the house. And we, we ended up, um, the, the stairs to the second 
floor of the house were enclosed. And so there was a door at the bottom and uh, my older sister and I were able to get into that, the bottom of the staircase and like hold the door shut, like through the handle. So the two of us were like grip in a death grip of this handle while our sister was on the other side, trying to get through to us in her hand. And I, I, I'm pretty sure we were in that position for about an hour of, of her just really wanting to kill us. Um, and my mother walked through the door, which was in the same room uh, that, that Jillian, that my middle sister was in. And my mother walked through the door and Jillian turns around with the knife in her hand, drops it and says, they tried to kill me. And, uh, and that ended up stopping it for some reason. Uh, she was grounded most of our childhood, to say the least. I see why. And that night, like, to, to show you an example of how neglectful my mother was, she, did, she didn't come and talk to us. She wasn't like, hey, you guys okay? None of that. Not, that did not happen. <laughs> There was no healthy check-in with one another. Um, Jackie, my, my oldest sister, would do that occasionally, but not frequently enough. And it was also paired with that, that uh, chase for our mother's love. So we were in competition for our mother's love whenever possible. So there was manipulation and betrayal left and right between the sisters. That's that happened. That's awful and disgusting. I'm so sorry that you endured all of that. <laughs> uh, hey, it, you know, it was just part of the cards that I was dealt. And, I, and I'm, in an odd way, now I'm actually quite grateful for it because it forced me into this odd spiritual awakening and recognition, being able to recognize what love actually is. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would really like to stay connected. You can reach us directly through email at embrace your crazy podcast, one word at gmail.com at embrace underscore your underscore crazy underscore podcast on Instagram and on Facebook at embrace your crazy wellness and health. Tap that subscribe button on your favorite streaming platforms and tune in for new episodes every two weeks. If you're experiencing abuse, sexual trauma, or narcissism, visit www.schedulealcallwithmarissa.com for a free 30-minute coaching session about overcoming the trauma of abuse. And visit www.marissafaycohen.com for more information and some free resources. And if you're in the market for a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New Jersey, you can reach out to me, a.k.a. Bubba, at James Castorina, C-A-S-T-O-R-I-N-A, on Psychology Today. You can also read my blog called The Caring Counselor at www.caringcounselor.blog for self-care and mental health tips. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to embrace y'all crazy. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast today. 
Before you go, it's important that you know that what you're feeling is normal. Everyone responds to trauma, narcissism, and abuse differently. Our brains go into survival mode to protect us from harm. But I want to make sure you know that you're not alone. I'm here, and I want to brainstorm ways that I can help ease your healing journey. Imagine you're standing on a cliff, and on the other side of a deep canyon is the life that you dream of. A partner who connects with you, supports you, and empowers you, and makes you laugh and smile. A life filled with freedom, confidence, and peace. Good friendships, strong relationships. I've been where you are now. I've been standing on that edge, dreaming of the life that I have now. And I built the bridge between where you are and that dream that seems unreachable. I've walked this path with thousands of survivors who live a free, confident, and peaceful life now. Let's walk this path together. If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. That's www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made for you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone, and hurt and live a free, confident, and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Marissa F. Cohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.